Chapter 7. Predictions and Presumption When the prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah, and the word does not occur or come true, that is the word that Jehovah did not speak. With presumptuousness the prophet spoke it. You must not get frightened at him. Deuteronomy 18, verse 22. When it comes to attitudes about the promised return of Christ Jesus, eagerness is certainly to be preferred to apathy. Early Christians were definitely not apathetic about that hoped-for event. Some years ago, I watched a television broadcast in which a public relations representative of the Canadian branch office of Jehovah's Witnesses, Walter Graham, responded to questions about the failure of certain predictions regarding Christ's return. He said that if any fault was to be found with Jehovah's Witnesses in this respect, then it was only due to, quote, our enthusiasm of seeing God's name vindicated and his kingdom rule the earth. Most persons, I think, will agree that it is only human to make the mistake of saying things on the spur of the moment, to let wishful thinking, or perhaps strong desire and enthusiasm, sway our judgment, and cause us to jump to hasty conclusions. Somewhere in our lives, we have all done that. Surely, if that were all that is involved, no one should have cause for great concern. Personally, I do not believe that that is all that is involved here, however. The issues go deeper, and the factors related have far greater significance than some common incidental mistake we all commit at times. This is particularly so because of the way the predictions involved have affected people's most vital interests. A factor that cannot be treated lightly is that the governing body views Jehovah's Witnesses, at least those of the anointed class, to which the governing body members all belong, as cast in the role of a prophet, assigned to that awesome responsibility by God himself. Thus, the April 1, 1972 issue of the Watchtower magazine, on page 197, carried an article entitled, They Shall Know That a Prophet Was Among Them. It raised the question as to whether, in modern times, Jehovah God has had a prophet to warn people, as it quotes here, to warn them of dangers and declare things to come. The answer given was that, yes, the record showed there was such a prophet. Notice what the article says under the subheading, Identifying the Prophet. Quote, Jehovah did not let the people of Christendom as led by the clergy go without being warned that the League of Nations was a counterfeit substitute for the real kingdom of God. He had a prophet to warn them. This prophet was not one man, but was a body of men and women. It was the small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at the time as International Bible Students. Today they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. They are still proclaiming a warning, and have been joined and assisted in their commissioned work by the hundreds of thousands of persons who have listened to their message with belief. Of course, it is easy to say that this group acts as a prophet of God, it is another thing to prove it. The only way that this can be done is to review the record. What does it show? End quote. More recently, in the May 1st, 1997 Watchtower, on page 8, it said, quote, Jehovah God is the grand identifier of his true messengers. 
He identifies them by making the messages he delivers through them come true. Jehovah is also the great exposer of false messengers. How does he expose them? He frustrates their signs and predictions. In this way, he shows that they are self-appointed prognosticators, whose messages really spring of their own false reasoning. Yes, their foolish, fleshly thinking. End quote. The first watchtower quoted states that the proof of the role of modern-day prophet is to be found in the record. The second provides the criteria that Jehovah identifies his true messengers by making their messages come true, while at the same time exposing false messengers by frustrating their signs and predictions. So, by applying these standards, what do we find? Well, the record is worth reviewing. That it reveals mistakes, even the headquarters organization will itself acknowledge. One morning in 1980, when serving as chairman for the daily text discussion at the Brooklyn Bethel home, Fred Franz, then the society's president, recounted to the headquarters family his recollections of expectations held regarding the year 1925, forecast as the time when Christ's millennial rule would be fully manifest on earth. He quoted Judge Rutherford as having said afterward about his own predictions, quote, I know, I made an ass of myself. And the footnote reads, This statement by Rutherford is quoted in the October 1st, 1984 Watchtower on page 24. Back to the paragraph. The organization, however, treats these mistakes as mere evidence of human imperfection, and also as evidence of great desire and enthusiasm to see God's promises fulfilled. I believe that the record shows that there is more to it than that. It is one thing for a man to make an ass of himself because of wanting to see something happen, but it is quite another thing for him to urge others to share his views, to criticize them if they do not, even to question their faith or impugn their motives if they do not see matters as he sees it. It is still more serious for an organization representing itself as God's appointed spokesman to all mankind to do this, and to do it not for a few days or months, but for years, even decades, repeatedly, on an earthwide basis. The responsibility for the results can surely not be shrugged off with simply saying, well, nobody's perfect. No one is, but every one of us bears a responsibility for what we do. And that is especially so when our actions may dramatically affect something as important and personal as another person's relationship with God. No less serious is it when a group of men have divided views on predictions related to a certain date, and yet present to their adherents an outward appearance of united confidence encouraging those adherents to place unwavering trust in those predictions. I suppose I must credit my experience with the governing body for also bringing home to me the reality of these matters. During the first twenty years or so of my active association with Jehovah's Witnesses, I had, at most, a hazy idea about any failures in past predictions, and simply did not attach any great importance to them. I had no interest in literature attacking our teachings on this point. From the late 1950s onward, certain society publications, such as Jehovah's Witnesses in the Divine Purpose, 
which was at that time the only book which provided a history of the organization. And the Society's sponsored book, Faith on the March, did mention these failures, but they did so in a way that made them appear as of minor consequence, and I viewed them in that same light. It was not until the late 1970s that I learned just how far the matter went. I learned it then, not from so-called opposition literature, but from Watchtower publications themselves, and from active, respected witnesses, including fellow members of the governing body. 1914 is a pivotal date on which a major portion of the doctrinal and authority structure of Jehovah's Witnesses rests. Jehovah's Witnesses today hold the following beliefs tied in with that date. That in 1914 Christ Jesus became present, invisible to human eyes, but now beginning a judgment period for all his professed followers and for the world. That in 1914 Christ Jesus now began active rulership toward this world, his kingdom officially taking power. That 1914 marks the start of the last days, or the time of the end, foretold in Bible prophecy. That three and a half years after 1914, in 1918, the resurrection of Christians sleeping in death, from the apostles onward, began. That about that same time, in 1918, Christ's true followers, then living, went into spiritual captivity into Babylon the Great, being released the following year, 1919, at which time Christ Jesus acknowledged them collectively as his faithful and discreet slave, his approved agency for directing his work and caring for his interests on earth, his sole channel for communicating guidance and illumination to his servants earthwide. That from that time forward, the final harvest work has been in progress, with salvation or destruction as ultimate destinies. To weaken belief in the significance of the foundation date of 1914, would weaken the whole doctrinal superstructure, described above, that rests upon it. It would also weaken the claim of special authority for those acting as the official spokesman for the group, the faithful and discreet slave class. To remove that date, as having such significance, would mean the virtual collapse of all the doctrinal and authority structure founded on it. That is how crucial it is. Yet few witnesses today know that for nearly half a century, from 1879 to the late 1920s, the time prophecies published in the Watchtower magazine and related publications were essentially contrary to all the beliefs just outlined. I, for one, did not realize it much of my life. Then I found that for nearly 50 years, the channel of the Watchtower had assigned different times and dates for every one of the things just listed, and that it was only a failure of all the original expectations regarding 1914 that led to an assigning of new dates to those claimed fulfillments of prophecy. As discussed in a previous chapter, the research I had to do in connection with the book Aid to Bible Understanding brought home to me that the society's date of 607 BCE for Jerusalem's destruction by Babylon was contradicted by all the known historical evidence. Still, I continued to put trust in that date in spite of the evidence, feeling that it had scriptural backing. Without 607 BCE, the crucial date of 1914 would be placed in question. I took the view that the historical evidence was likely defective and argued that way in the aid book. Then, in 1977, 
one of Jehovah's Witnesses in Sweden named Carl Olaf Johnson, sent to the Brooklyn headquarters a massive amount of research that he had done on biblically related chronology and on chronological speculation. Janssen was an elder and had been actively associated with Jehovah's Witnesses for some twenty years. Having had experience researching chronology myself, I was impressed by how deeply he had gone into the matter, also by the completeness and factualness of his presentation. Basically, he sought to draw the governing body's attention to the weaknesses in the society's chronological reckonings leading to the 1914 date as the end point of the Gentile times referred to by Jesus at Luke chapter 21, verses 24, also called the appointed times of the nations in the New World Translation. Briefly stated, the 1914 date is arrived at by the following process. In the fourth chapter of Daniel's prophecy, the expression seven times occurs, applied there to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, and describing a period of seven times of insanity the king would experience. The society teaches that those seven times are prophetic of something greater, namely of the period of time extending from Jerusalem's destruction, placed by the society at 607 BCE, down to the end of the Gentile times explained as meaning the period during which the Gentile nations exercise uninterrupted dominion over the earth. The seven times are interpreted as meaning seven years, with each year consisting of 360 days. Seven multiplied by 360 gives 2,520 days. However, other prophecies are referred to that use the expression a day for a year, Employing this formula, the 2,520 days becomes 2,520 years, running from 607 BCE to the year 1914 CE. As noted earlier, the Society's present teaching about the beginning of Christ's kingdom rule, the last days, the start of the resurrection and related matters, are all tied in with this calculation. Not many witnesses are able to explain the rather intricate application and combination of texts involved, but they accept the end product of this process and calculation. Most of Jehovah's Witnesses for many decades believed that this explanation, leading to 1914, was more or less unique with their organization, that it was initially understood and published by the Society's first president, Pastor Russell. On its inside cover, the Society's publication, Jehovah's Witnesses in the Divine Purpose, published in 1959, contained the following statements. 1870. Charles Taze Russell begins his study of the Bible with a small group of associates. 1877. The book Three Worlds is published, identifying the date 1914 as the end of the Gentile times. The impression given here, as well as that presented within the book, was that this book, The Three Worlds, which Russell actually only financed, was the first publication to contain this teaching about 1914. This is what I had thought, until the material from the Swedish elder came into the world headquarters. Then I realized how many facts had either been ignored or glossed over by the Society's publications. Jonsson first traced the long history of chronological speculation. He showed that the practice of arbitrarily applying the 
year-for-a-day formula to various time periods found in the Bible was initially done by Jewish rabbis dating back to the first century CE. In the ninth century CE, a string of Jewish rabbis began making calculations and predictions utilizing this day-year formula in connection with the time periods of 1,290, 1,335, and 2,300 days found in Daniel's prophecy, in each case applying their results to the time for the appearance of the Messiah. The footnote reads, Daniel 8, 14, and Daniel 12, 11, and 12. The complete text of Carl Olaf Janssen's research has since been published in 1983 under the title The Gentile Times Reconsidered and is now available in revised edition Commentary Press, 1998. Back to the paragraph. Among professed Christians, the practice first surfaces in the 12th century, beginning with a Roman Catholic abbot, Joachim of Flores. Not only the periods of days found in Daniel's prophecy, but also the period of 1,260 days mentioned in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 6, were now interpreted by employing the day-for-a-year method. As time went along, a remarkable succession of dates was arrived at by the different interpreters, their predictions including the year 1260, then 1364, and later various dates in the 16th century. Changes and new interpretations were regularly made necessary, as one date after another eventually passed without the foretold event taking place. In 1796, George Bell, writing in a London magazine, predicted the fall of the Antichrist, according to his view, the Pope. This was to come in 1797, or 1813, his prediction being based on an interpretation of the 1,260 days, but using a different starting point than other interpretations. Some had begun their count from the birth of Christ, others from the fall of Jerusalem, others from the start of the Catholic Church. His prediction was written during the French Revolution. Not long after he made it, a shocking event took place. The Pope was taken captive by French troops and forced into exile. Many took this as a most remarkable fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and 1798 was accepted by them as the end of the prophetic 1,260 days. From this developed the view that the following year, 1799, marked the beginning of the last days. Further upheavals in Europe produced a spate of new predictions. Among the predictors was a man in England named John Aquila Brown. In the early 1800s, he published an explanation of the 2,300 days of Daniel, chapter 8, showing these as ending in 1844 CE. This understanding was also adopted by the American pioneer of the Second Advent movement, William Miller. We will see how these calculations later come to play a role in the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. John Aquila Brown, however, developed another explanation that is intimately related to the year 1914 as that date figures in the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. How so? Carl Olaf Janssen's material presented the evidence that Brown was the real originator of the interpretation of the seven times of Daniel chapter 4, the interpretation that produces the 2,520 years by means of the day-for-a-year formula. 
Brown first published this interpretation in 1823, and his method converted the seven times into 2,520 years in exactly the same way that is found today in Watchtower publications. This was 29 years before Charles Taze Russell was born, 47 years before he began his Bible study group, and more than half a century before the book The Three Worlds appeared. I was totally unaware of this before reading the material sent to the Society from Sweden. There was nothing in any of the Watchtower publications that acknowledged these facts. There was no mention at all of John Aquila Brown. Carl Olaf Janssen finally published his material in 1983. Ten years after Janssen's book appeared, the Watchtower Society for the first time acknowledged the actual origin of the 2,520-year calculation by John Aquila Brown, made in 1823, 50 years before Russell appeared on the scene. John Aquila Brown, however, started his 2,520-year period in 604 BCE, and therefore had it ending in 1917 CE. He foretold that then, quote, the full glory of the kingdom of Israel shall be perfected. So where then did this emphasis on the date 1914 originate? After the failure of expectations surrounding the year 1844, a split-up of various Second Advent groups resulted, most of them setting up new dates for Christ's return. One of these groups formed around N. H. Barber of Rochester, New York. Barber adopted much of John Aquila Brown's interpretation, but changed the starting point of the 2,520 years to 606 BCE and came up with the ending date of 1914 CE. Actually, this was a miscalculation, since that would have only been 2,519 years. In 1873, Barber began to publish a magazine for Second Adventist adherents, first titled The Midnight Cry, and later wrote Herald of the Morning. On the following page is a copy of the title of the page Herald of the Morning of July 1878, the year before the publication of the first issue of the Watchtower magazine. Note the statement found at the lower right-hand corner. And... Uh, if you look at the right-hand corner, there is the statement in quotations, Times of the Gentiles End in 1914. Uh, this is the, uh, yeah, this is Barber's Magazine, Herald of the Morning. Interesting. Anyway, uh, continuing on, back to the paragraph, it says, This copy was made from one kept on file at the Brooklyn headquarters though not accessible for general use, its existence there shows that some persons of the headquarters staff must have known that the Watchtower magazine was clearly not the first magazine to advocate the 1914 date as the end of the Gentile times. That teaching was actually adopted from the Second Adventist publication of N. H. Barber. It may also be noted that, at that time, July 1878, Russell had become assistant editor of this Second Adventist magazine, the Herald of the Morning. Russell himself explains how he came to be associated with N.H. Barber and how he came to adopt Barber's chronology, much of which, including the interpretation of the seven times of Daniel chapter 4, Barber had in turn adopted from John Aquila Brown. Russell's explanation is published in the July 15, 1906 issue of The Watchtower. 
And here I will just read the underlined portions. Quote, it was about January 1876 that my attention was specially drawn to the subject of prophetic time as it relates to the doctrines and hopes. It came about in this way. I received a paper called The Herald of the Morning, sent by its editor, Mr. N. H. Barber. When I opened it, I at once identified it with the Adventism from the picture on its cover. That the object of the Lord's return is not to destroy, but to bless all of the families of the earth, and that this coming would be thief-like, not in flesh, but as a spirit being. Continuing on, I rejoiced to find others coming to the same advanced position, but was astonished to find that statement very cautiously set forth that the editor believed that the prophecies to indicate that the Lord was already present in the world, unseen and invisible, and that the harvest work of ingathering of the wheat was already due, and that this view was warranted by the time prophecies which, but a few months before, he supposed had failed. Here was a new thought. Could it be that the time prophecies, which I had so long despised, because of their misuse by Adventists, were really meant to indicate when the Lord would be invisibly present, to set up his kingdom, a thing which I had clearly saw could be known in no other way. It seemed to say, the least, at the least, a reasonable and very reasonable thing. I recalled certain arguments used by my friend Jonas Wendell and other Adventists to prove that 1873 would witness the burning of the world, etc., the chronology of the world showing that the 6,000 years from Adam ended with the beginning of 1873, and other arguments drawn from the scriptures and supposed to coincide. Could it be that these time arguments, which I had passed by as unworthy of attention, really contained an important truth which they had misapplied? Now note that up to this point Russell states that he had had no regard for time prophecies, had in fact Quote, despise them. What did he now do? Continuing on, anxious to learn from any quarter, whatever, God had to teach, I at once wrote to Mr. Barber informing him of my harmony on other points and desiring to know particularly why and upon what scriptural evidences he held that Christ's presence and the harvesting of the gospel age dated from the autumn of 1874. The answer showed that my surmise had been correct, vis-à-vis -vis that the time, arguments, chronology, etc., were the same as used by Second Adventists in 1873. They had examined the time prophecies that had seemingly passed unfulfilled, and had been unable to find any flaw, and had begun to wonder whether the time was right, and their expectations wrong, whether the views of restitution and blessing to the world, which myself and others were teaching, might not be the things to look for. It seems that not long after their 1874 disappointment, a reader of the Herald of the Morning, who had a copy of the Diaglot, noticed something in it which he thought peculiar, that in Matthew 24, 27, 39, and 37, the world which in our common version is rendered coming is translated presence. This was a clue, and following it, they had been led through the prophetic time toward proper views regarding the object and manner of the Lord's return. But there were no other books or publications setting forth time prophecies as then understood, so I paid Mr. Barber's expenses to come see me at Philadelphia, 
where I had a business engagements during the summer of 1876, to show me fully and scripturally, if he could, that the prophecies indicated 1874 as a date at which the Lord's presence and the harvest began. He came, and the evidence satisfied me. Thus, the visit of Second Adventist N. H. Barber changed Russell's mind about time prophecies. Russell became an assistant editor of Barber's magazine, The Herald of the Morning, published for Second Advent adherents. From this time forward, time prophecies formed a prominent feature of Russell's writings and of the Watchtower magazine he soon founded. The footnote reads, it was after the meeting with Barber that Russell wrote the, an article for the Bible Examiner published by George Stewers, another Adventist, in which Russell set forth the 1914 date Barber had arrived at. Like so many of the Second Adventist magazines, the magazine that Russell began included the term Herald in its title, Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence, which Presence was believed to have begun in 1874. Back to the paragraph. The seven times interpretation and the 1914 date that Russell picked up were all tied in with the date of 1874, given primary importance by Barber and his adherents. 1914 was still decades away, whereas 1874 had just passed. They believed that 1874 marked the end of 6,000 years of human history, and they had expected Christ's return in that year. When it passed, they felt disillusioned. As the earlier quoted material shows, a second Adventist contributor to Barber's magazine named B. W. Keith later noticed that a certain New Testament translation, the emphatic diglot, used the word presence in the place of coming in text related to Christ's return. Keith advanced to Barber the idea that Christ had indeed returned in 1874, but invisibly, and that Christ was now invisibly present, carrying on a judging work. An invisible presence is a very difficult thing to argue against or disprove. It is something like having a friend tell you that he knows that a dead parent invisibly visits him and comforts him, and then trying to prove to your friend that this is not really so. An invisible presence concept thus allowed these second Adventists associated with Barber to say that they had, after all, had the right date, 1874, but had just expected the wrong thing on that date. That explanation was also accepted and adopted by Russell. Footnote reads, The July 15, 1906 Watchtower, earlier quoted, shows that they did advance that very argument. Today, the several million of Jehovah's Witnesses believe and teach that Christ's invisible presence began in 1914. Very few realize that, for nearly 50 years, the Watchtower Society announced and heralded, in their role as prophet, that such invisible presence began in 1874. As late as 1929, 15 years after 1914, they were still teaching this. The footnote reads, See the book, Prophecy, published in 1929, pages 64 and 65. The August 15, 1974 Watchtower makes mention of this belief, but gives no indication that it continued to be taught after 1914. Jehovah's Witnesses today believe that Christ officially began his kingdom rule in 1914. The Watchtower taught for decades that this took place in 1878. The footnote reads, 
This began to be changed in 1922 at the Cedar Point Convention, eight years after 1914. Jehovah's Witnesses today believe thus that the last days and the time of the end also began in 1914. The Watchtower magazine taught for half a century that the last days began in 1799, accepting the interpretation by George Bell, published in 1796. They believe today that the resurrection of anointed Christians who died from Christ's time forward began to take place in 1918. For more than 40 years, the Watchtower taught that it began in 1881. Their present belief is that from and after 1914, and particularly from 1919 onward, the great harvest work is underway to be climaxed by the destruction of the present system and all those who have not responded to their preaching activity. From its beginning, the Watchtower magazine taught instead that the harvest would run from 1874 to 1914, and that by 1914 the destruction of all human institutions of this world would take place. The organization today places the fall of Babylon the Great, the world empire of false religion, in 1919. For at least four decades, the Watchtower placed it in 1878, with Babylon's complete destruction due in 1914 or 1918. What was responsible for the change in all these major prophetic teachings held to for so many decades and by so many people? It was the same as in the case of all the long line of predictions from the 13th century onward, the failure of their published expectations to be realized. Some may incline to discount this as a mere assertion. After all, hardly any of Jehovah's Witnesses now have access to older issues of the Watchtower, and today, even when discussing the organization's past history, the Society's publications either ignore or present only a partial, sometimes altered view of these teachings advocated for so long a time. They give little idea of how positively and confidently these views were advanced. Consider, then, a portion of the evidence from the record of this organization, a record that the Watchtower says will confirm the validity of the organization's claim to the role of a modern-day prophet. In reviewing the earliest issues of the Watchtower magazine from 1879 onward, a notable feature is that they were expecting major things to happen right then. Though believing that 1914 would mark the end of the Gentile times, that date figured relatively little in their thinking. They were thinking far more of 1874, and the belief that Christ had begun his invisible presence then, had thereafter entered his kingdom rule. So they expected to experience their transferal to heavenly life very soon. With this, the opportunity to become part of the Bride of Christ would be closed. They expected as well that long before 1914, the world would enter into a time of great trouble that would worsen and develop into a state of chaos and anarchy. By 1914, everything would be over, finished, and Christ Jesus would have taken the full charge of his earthly affairs, his kingdom completely replacing all human systems of rule. This is aptly illustrated in the following material from the January 1881 issue of the Watchtower certain points being underlined here for the reader's convenience. And it is these underlined portions that I'm going to read. It says, We see, too, that not only are the harvest of Jewish and gospel ages parallel in point of beginning, but also in length of duration. 
So ours, beginning in 1874, closes with the end of the Day of Wrath and the end of the Chimes of the Gentiles, 1914, a similar and parallel period of 40 years. We find, as heretofore shown, the Law and the Prophets declaring him present at the culmination of the Jubilee Cycles in 1874, and the parallels show us that then the harvest began, and that the gathering of the bride into the place of safety will occupy a parallel of seven years of time, ending in 1881. We believe that Christ is now present, in the sense of having commenced the work of taking to himself his great power and reigning. So rather than 1914, the real anchor date for the Watchtower then was clearly 1874. As of that date, Christ was present. Within the following 40 years, he would accomplish all his harvest work. Because of believing this, it was felt that dramatic events should be taking place very quickly, perhaps in that very year of 1881, as argued in the additional article headed, How Long, O Lord? Note these points. Quote, this is a question, doubtless, that many ask themselves. How soon will our change come? In the article concerning our change, in December paper, we expressed the opinion that it was nearer than many supposed, and while we would not attempt to prove our change at any particular time, yet we propose looking at some of the evidences which seem to show the translation or change from the natural to the spiritual condition do this side or by the fall of our year 1881. And farther down it reads, but since we recognize that going into the marriage is not only being made ready by recognizing his presence for the change, but also that going in includes the change itself, then the evidence that we go in or will be changed inside of the time mentioned are strong and commend themselves to all interested as worthy of investigation. Aside from any direct proof that our change is near, the fact that the matter of the change can now be understood is evidence that we are near the time of the change, for truth is meat in due season and understood only as due. And a little farther along it reads, We shall now present what we deduce from the types and prophetic points as seeming to indicate the translation of the saints and closing of the door to the high calling by 1881. Detailed argumentation followed with emphasis on the fall of 1881 as the likely time for their change to heavenly life and the time when, quote, the door or opportunity to become a member of the bride will close. This would be 35 years before 1914 which to them was simply a terminal point, the time by which all things would wind up. The expectation that the anointed Christians of the bride class would undergo a transition to heavenly life by the fall of 1881 obviously did not materialize. As the years passed, the focus of attention began to lengthen and 1914 began to receive somewhat greater emphasis. It was still the terminal point, however, when the elimination of earthly rulerships and the destruction of the nominal Christendom would be complete. It was believed that Christ began to exercise his full kingdom power in 1878, as shown in the book Russell published in 1889, entitled The Time is at Hand, pages 239 and 247. Here are some quotes from that book. 
Our Lord's presence as bridegroom and reaper was recognized during the first three and a half years from A.D. 1874 to A.D. 1878. Since that time, it has been emphatically manifest that the time had come in 1878 when kingly judgment should begin at the house of God. The year 1878 being the parallel of this assuming power and authority in the type clearly marks the time for the actual assuming of power as King of Kings by our present spiritual invisible Lord, the time of his taking to himself his great power to reign. Actual Presence of the Lord as Bridegroom and Reaper, October A.D. 1874 power and title of king assumed three and a half years later, A.D. 1878. So even after the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, the focus was still largely on 1874 and 1878 as the key dates to which all thinking was geared. They were in the last days since 1799, in the harvest period since 1874. Christ had been exercising his kingly power since 1878, and the resurrection had then begun. The passing of the years did not change these claims. They all related to invisible events. Unlike the prediction about the translation to heaven of the living saints expected in 1881, with no visible evidence to discredit them, these claims would be, and were, maintained. Within three years of 1914, in 1911, the Watchtower still proclaimed the importance of 1874, 1878, and 1881. Babylon the Great had fallen in 1878, and her full end would come in October 1914. An adjustment was made, however, as regards the, quote, closing of the door to the opportunity to be part of the Heavenly Kingdom class earlier placed in 1881. Now the Watchtower readers are informed that the door still stands ajar in this material from the June 15, 1911 issue. Quote, Noting these parallels, we find 1874 as the beginning of this harvest and the gathering together of the elect from the four winds of heaven, 1878 as the time when Babylon was formally rejected, Laodicea spewed out, the time from which it is stated, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And in harmony with this parallelism, October 1914 will witness the full end of Babylon as a great millstone cast into the sea, utterly destroyed as a system. Our understanding is that the open or general call of this age to kingdom honors ceased in October 1881, However, as already shown in scripture studies, we make a distinction between the end of the call and the closing of the door, and believe that the door into the kingdom class is not yet closed, that it stands ajar for a time. The wind-up date of 1914 was now at hand. With its arrival, the harvest would be over. The last days would have reached their culmination. Their hopes would be fully realized. Exactly what did the Watchtower publications teach would take place by the time of 1914? The book, The Time is at Hand, published 25 years before 1914, set out seven points as follows. Quote, In this chapter we present the Bible evidence proving that the full end of the Gentile times, i.e. the full end of their lease of dominion, will be reached 
in A.D. 1914, and that that date will be the farthest limit of the rule of imperfect men. Firstly, that at that date, the kingdom of God for which our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Thy kingdom come, will obtain full universal control, and that it will be then set up, or firmly established in the earth, on the ruins of present institutions. Secondly, it will prove that he whose right it is thus to take the dominion will then be present as earth's new ruler. Because the overthrow of these Gentile governments is directly caused by his dashing them to pieces as a potter's vessel and establishing in their stead his own righteous government. Thirdly, it will prove that some time before the end of A.D. 1914, the last member of the divinely recognized Church of Christ, the royal priesthood, the body of Christ, will be glorified with the head. Fourthly, it will prove that from the, that time forward, Jerusalem shall no longer be trodden down of the Gentiles. Fifth, it will prove that by that date or sooner, Israel's blindness will begin to be turned away. Sixthly, it will prove that the great time of trouble, such as has never been since the world's beginning, uh, will reach its culmination in a worldwide reign of anarchy. And seventh, it will prove that before that date, God's kingdom, organized in power, will be in the earth and then smite and crush the Gentile image and fully consume the power of these kings. These statements are found in editions up until 1914. As can be noted in the material quoted, these editions clearly stated that 1914, quote, will be the farthest limit of the rule of imperfect men. It said that at that date the kingdom of God will Quote, have obtained full universal control, and that it will then be set up or firmly established in the earth. Note how a post-1914 edition, 1924, covers this up by saying, Firstly, that at that date the kingdom of God, for which our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Thy kingdom come, will begin to assume control, and that it will then shortly be set up. In point three, the editions prior to and up to 1914 stated that before the end of 1914, the last member of the body of Christ would be glorified with the head. Here also, the post-1914 edition changes the wording and eliminates any reference to the year 1914. Quote, Thirdly, it will prove that some time before the end of the overthrow. Therefore, in later editions, a clear effort was made to cover up the more obvious failures, of the very positive claims made regarding 1914, once that date had passed without the predicted events occurring. Few Jehovah's Witnesses today have any concept of the magnitude of the claims made for that year, or the fact that not a single one of the original seven points was fulfilled, as stated. Those expectations now receive only the briefest of mention in the Society's publication, and some are totally passed over. So too with the claims made about 1878, and 1881, which along with those about 1799 and 1874, were all eventually discarded as an error. In fact, by reading the Society's recent publications, one might gather that Russell, the Watchtower president, did not speak specifically about just what 1914 would bring. They implied that any strong expectations or dogmatic claims were the responsibility of others, the readers. 
An example of this is found in what was, for many years, the official history of the organization, Jehovah's Witnesses in the Divine Purpose, page 52. Quote, There is no doubt that many throughout this period were overzealous in their statements as to what could be expected. Some read into the Watchtower statements that were never intended, and while it was necessary for Russell to call attention to the certainty that a great change was due at the end of the Gentile times, he still encouraged his readers to keep an open mind, especially as regards the time element. This book, Jehovah's Witnesses and the Divine Purpose, quotes excerpts from Watchtower magazines, but when examined, they simply do not support the statements made above. The only one dealing with a specific time element is from a Watchtower of 1893, which says, quote, A great storm is near at hand. Though one may not know exactly when it will break forth, it seems reasonable to suppose that it cannot be more than 12 or 14 years yet future. This does nothing to prove the claim made. It merely confirms what other writings of Russell show, that he definitely expected worldwide trouble to break out before 1914 arrived, not later than 1905 or 1907, according to the quoted material, and that this outbreak of trouble would lead up to the eventual destruction of all Earth's governments by that terminal date. Two years before 1914 arrived, the Watchtower did urge some caution on the part of its readers. The book, Jehovah's Witnesses in the Divine Purpose, on page 53, quotes Russell's statement in a 1912 Watchtower as follows. Quote, there surely is room for slight differences of opinion on this subject, and it behooves us to grant each other the widest latitude. The lease of power to the Gentiles may end in October 1914 or in October 1915, and the period of intense strife and anarchy, such as never was since there was a nation, may be the final ending of the Gentile times or the beginning of Messiah's reign. But we remind all of our readers again that we have not prophesied anything about the times of the Gentiles closing in a time of trouble, nor about the glorious epoch which will shortly follow that catastrophe. We have merely pointed out what the scriptures say, giving our views respecting their meaning, and asking our readers to judge, each for himself, what these signify. These prophecies still read the same to us. However, some may make positive statements of what they know, and of what they do not know. We never indulge in this, but we merely state that we believe thus and so, for such and such reasons. This, then, is the picture the organization seeks to convey. Compare that with other statements made in the Watchtower magazine and other publications, statements to which the Society's publications today make no reference whatsoever. Ask whether it is true that the responsibility for any dogmatic claims rests outside the Society, rests instead with those who read into the publications, a certainty never intended, particularly as regards what 1914 would bring. From the book, The Time is at Hand, pages 98 and 99, published in 1889, we read the following. Quote, True, it is expecting great things to claim, as we do, that within the coming twenty-six years all present governments will be overthrown and dissolved, but we are living in a special and peculiar time, the, quote, Day of Jehovah, in which matters culminate quickly. 
In view of this strong Bible evidence concerning the times of the Gentiles, we consider it an established truth that the final end of the kingdoms of this world and the full establishment of the kingdom of God will be accomplished at the end of A.D. 1914. Now, if you say not merely that something is true, but that you consider it an established truth, is that not the same as saying that you know it to be so? Is that not indulging in positive statements? If there's any difference, how much of a difference is there? In the same publication, on page 101, this statement appears. Quote, Be not surprised, then, when in subsequent chapters we present proofs that the setting up of the kingdom of God is already begun, that the battle of the great day of God the Almighty, which will end in 1914 with the complete overthrow of Earth's present rulership, is already commenced. If our vision be unobstructed by prejudice, when we get the telescope of God's word rightly adjusted, we may see with clearness the character of many of the events due to take place in the day of the Lord, that we are in the very midst of those events, and that the great day of his wrath is come. Two years after this book was published, another book by Russell, Thy Kingdom Come, was published in 1891, and on page 153 we find the following. Under the heading, The Work of Harvest, quote, And with the end of A.D. 1914, what God calls Babylon and what men call Christendom will have passed away, as already shown from prophecy. The next year, 1892, in the January 15th issue, the Watchtower stated that the final battle had already begun, its end to come in 1914. Quote, The date of the close of that battle is definitely marked in Scripture as October 1914. It is already in progress, its beginning dating from October 1874. Never was there such a general time of banding together as there is at present. This feature of the battle must continue. The final struggle would be comparatively short, terrible, and decisive, resulting in general anarchy. Then woe to the man or nation who starts the next war in Europe, for it will be a war of extermination. It will be abetted not only by national animosities, but also by social grievances, ambitions, and animosities, and if not brought to an end by the establishment of God's kingdom in the hands of his elect and then glorified church, it would exterminate the race. This short item appearing in the July 15, 1894 issue of the Watchtower reveals how they viewed world conditions of that time as clear proof that the world was then about to enter its final throes, with its last gasp coming in 1914. Under the heading, Can It Be Delayed Until 1914?, we read, quote, Seventeen years ago, people said concerning the time features presented in Millennial Dawn, they seem reasonable in many respects, but surely no such radical changes could occur between now and the close of 1914. If you had proved that they would come about in a century or two, it would seem much more probable. What changes have occurred since? And what velocity is gained daily? The old is quickly passing, and the new is coming in. 
Now, in view of recent labor troubles and threatened anarchy, our readers are writing to know if there may not be a mistake in the 1914 date. They say that they do not see how present conditions can hold out so long under the strain. We see no reason for changing the figures, nor could we change them if we would. They are, we believe, God's dates, not ours. But bear in mind that the end of 1914 is not the date for the beginning, but for the end of the time of trouble. It is true that the word opinion is used here, but how meaningful is this when, at the same time, God is brought into the picture as backing up the dates set forth? Who would be inclined to doubt God's dates, as the Watchtower calls them? Today, the organization would say that these matters are all peripheral, minor when compared to what they would present as major truth, namely that the society was right about the end of the Gentile times as coming in 1914, the one early belief concerning 1914 that they still retain. But in saying this, they commit probably the greatest misrepresentation of all. For the fact is that all that has been retained is the phrase, end of the Gentile times. The meaning they now assign to that phrase is totally different from the meaning assigned to it by the Watchtower Society during the 40 years up to 1914. During all those 40 years, those associated with the Watchtower Society understood that the end of the Gentile times would mean the complete overthrow of all earthly governments, their total elimination and replacement by the rule of the whole earth by Christ's kingdom. No human rule would remain. Recall the statements on pages 98 and 99 of the publication, The Time is at Hand. Quote, Within the coming 26 years, from the date 1889, all present governments will be overthrown and dissolved. In view of this strong Bible evidence concerning the times of the Gentiles, we consider it an established truth that the final end of the kingdoms of this world and the full establishment of the kingdom of God will be accomplished by the end of A.D. 1914. End quote. Today the meaning assigned to the phrase end of the Gentile times or appointed times of the nations is quite different. It is not the actual end of rulership by human governments as a result of their destruction by Christ. Now it is said to be the end of their uninterrupted rule of the earth, the interruption resulting from Christ's visibly having taken kingdom power and begun reigning in 1914 and directing his attention in a special way toward the earth, which is actually what had been earlier taught about the year 1874. Since, again, the realm of the invisible is where this is said to have occurred, it is difficult to argue with such a theory. The fact that nothing whatsoever has changed since 1914 as regards the earthly government's dominion of the earth does not seem to be viewed as of any consequence. Their lease of power has expired, it is now said, being invisibly cancelled by the invisible king, and thus the end of their appointed time has come. This might be compared to proclaiming for 40 years that on a certain date the undesirable occupant of a property is going to be completely expelled, removed for all time, and then when that date comes and goes and the undesirable occupant is still there carrying on as usual, explaining it away by saying, 
Well, I cancelled his lease, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the same as if he were actually moved out. And, besides, I'm keeping a much closer watch on things now. Admittedly, the closer 1914 came, the more cautious the forecasts became. Whereas Russell had argued that the storm of trouble and universal anarchy would take place before October of 1914, later, in the July 1904 issue of the magazine, he said, under the heading, Universal Anarchy, just before or after October 1914 A.D., quote, What seems at first glance the various trifle and wholly unrelated to the matter, has changed our conviction respecting the time when universal anarchy may be expected in accord with the prophetic numbers. We now expect that the anarchistic culmination of the great time of trouble which will be preceding the millennial blessings will be after October 1914 A.D., very speedily thereafter, in our opinion, in, quote, one hour, suddenly, in 1894, he had affirmed that the figures expounded were God's dates, not ours. In the October 1st, 1907 Watchtower, with 1914 only seven years away, in an article titled Knowledge and Faith Regarding Chronology, he now said, quote, A dear brother inquires, Can we feel absolutely sure that the chronology set forth in the Dawn Studies is correct? that the harvest began in A.D. 1874 and will end in A.D. 1914 in a worldwide trouble which will overthrow all present institutions and be followed by the reign of righteousness of the King of Glory and his bride, the Church? We answer as we have frequently done before in the dawn and towers, and orally and by letter, that we have never claimed our calculations to be infallibly correct, we have never claimed that they were knowledge, nor based upon indisputable evidence, facts, knowledge. Our claim has always been that they are based on faith. End quote. The same article, however, goes on to imply that those doubting such calculations were lacking faith, saying, quote, we remind you again that the weak points of chronology are supplemented by the various prophecies which interlace with it, so remarkable in manner that faith in the chronology almost becomes knowledge that is correct. The changing of a single year would throw the beautiful parallels out of accord. Because some of the prophecies measure from B.C., some from A.D., and some depend on both. We believe that God meant those prophecies to be understood, quote, in due time. We believe that we do understand them now, and that they speak to us through this chronology. Do they not thereby seal the chronology? They do to faith, but not otherwise. Our Lord declared, quote, The wise shall understand. And he told us to watch, that we might know. And it is by this chronology which convinces us who can and do receive it by faith, that the parable of the ten virgins is now in process of fulfillment, that its first cry was heard in 1844, and its second cry, Behold the Bridegroom, present, was in 1874. How beneficial is it, or for that matter how much humility does it demonstrate, to acknowledge fallibility, 
while at the same time implying that only those who accept one's views are showing faith, that only they are among the, quote, wise who shall understand. Would not those failing to heed these cries of 1844 and 1874 be classed logically with the foolish virgins of the parable? Earlier in the same article, Russell had said, quote, God's times and seasons are given in such a way as to be convincing only to those who, by acquaintance with God, are able to recognize his characteristic methods. End quote. Thus, if any expressed doubts about the society's chronology, the very quality of their relationship with God was subtly placed in question, along with their faith and wisdom. This is a form of intellectual intimidation, a practice that increased manyfold once 1914 had passed by, failing to fulfill the expectations published worldwide. As has been mentioned, in 1993 the Watchtower published a new history of Jehovah's Witnesses titled Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom. Certain portions appear to be reactions to information published by other sources, apparently in an effort to blunt the effect of that information. As an example, the book by Carl Olaf Johnson, The Gentile Times Reconsidered, published and distributed since 1983, clearly showed the Second Advent sources for many of Charles Taze Russell's distinctive teachings, including that regarding the year 1914. Watchtower publications for decades have glossed over or simply ignored this reality, conveying the impression that most of these teachings and the date of 1914 were original with Russell, and that he and his Watchtower magazine constituted a unique divine channel for the revealing of previously lost or unknown truths. Now, for the first time, a measure of acknowledgment was made of the extent of the indebtedness to these other earlier sources, as in the case of John A. Brown's development of the theory of the seven times of Daniel chapter 4, as representing a period of 2,520 years, and relating this to the times of the Gentiles of Luke 21:24. Until this book, the name of John A. Brown had never even appeared in any Watchtower publication. Also, that it was not Russell, but Second Adventist N. H. Barber, who had targeted 1914 as the end of the Gentile Times in his magazine Herald of the Morning in 1875, four years before the first Watchtower magazine appeared, and that it was from him that Russell obtained this date. All of this information was available and known to the Watchtower leadership for decades. All governing body members received the first 20 pages of Carl Olaf Johnson's material in 1979, where these facts had all been spelled out in great detail. Yet only at this late date has the Watchtower organization made any open acknowledgement as to the true originators of these views and concepts. The footnote reads, See The Gentile Times Reconsidered, pages 19 through 29, and Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom, pages 45 through 47, and 132 through 135. Back to the paragraph. This new history book also makes at least some acknowledgement of the earlier, long-held teachings regarding the date of 1874 as supposedly marking the start of Christ's presence, 
1878 as the time when Christ assumed kingly power, of 1881 as the time when the heavenly calling would close, and of 1925 as the time when the ancient worthies would be resurrected and the grand jubilee would begin for this earth. All this information had been presented back in 1983 in the first printing of this book, Crisis of Conscience. What the book does not do is to admit honestly and frankly the intense importance and constant emphasis placed on these dates, in many cases for more than 50 years, and the positiveness with which assertions and claims were made. In this book, as in recent Watchtower and Awake articles, there is an ongoing effort to minimize the importance attached to these dates and to what was predicted to take place by 1914 at the very latest. Footnote reads, See, for example, The Watchtower, November 1st, 1993, pages 8 through 12. Awake, March 22nd, 1993, pages 3 and 4. Back to the paragraph. They often focus on one aspect among many claims, as in referring to only the end of the Gentile times, or in presenting 1914 as being looked to simply as a crucial date or a marked year, and do not mention other major claims that were part and parcel of the prediction. Generally, readers are only presented with a few later cautionary statements that came when 1914 was drawing to a close, and the bold predictions are then portrayed as only tentative suggestions of mere possibilities. Since the vast majority of their readers have no access to the earlier publications, the articles can trade on their ignorance and can downplay the force of the predictions by a selective use of quotations and either gloss over or deliberately ignore other clear statements that were made. Very frequently, the tactic employed is that of emphasizing the absence of specific terminology, as if not using of particular words or phrases frees them from having made false predictions in the name of God. The March 22, 1993 Awake, on pages 3, under the heading, Why So Many False Alarms, presents an example of this. Quote, there are some who make spectacular predictions of the world's end to grab attention and a following, but others are sincerely convinced that their proclamations are true. They are voicing expectations based on their own interpretation of some scriptural text or physical event. They do not claim that their predictions are direct revelations from Jehovah, and that in this sense they are prophesying in Jehovah's name. Hence, in such cases, when their words do not come true, they should not be viewed as false prophets, such as those warned against in Deuteronomy 18, 20-22. In their human fallibility, they misrepresented matters. The accompanying footnote contains the following. Quote, Jehovah's Witnesses, in their eagerness for Jesus' second coming, have suggested dates that turned out to be incorrect. Because of this, some have called them false prophets. Never in these instances, however, did they presume to originate predictions in the name of Jehovah. Never did they say, These are the words of Jehovah. The Watchtower, an official journal of Jehovah's Witnesses, has said, We have not the gift of prophecy. And it refers to the January 1883 issue, page 425. Quote, Nor would we have our writings reverenced or regarded as infallible. And then it quotes the December 15, 1896, 
Watchtower, page 306. The Watchtower has also said that the fact that some have Jehovah's Spirit does not mean those now serving as Jehovah's Witnesses are inspired. It does not mean that the writings in his magazine, The Watchtower, are inspired and infallible without mistakes. The Watchtower does not claim to be inspired in its utterances, nor is it dogmatic. And then it quotes August 15th, 1950, page 263. The brothers preparing these publications are not infallible. Their writings are not inspired as those of the Apostle Paul and other Bible writers. And so at times it has been necessary, as understanding became clearer, to correct views. The argument, thus, is that if one does not use expressions such as this is a direct revelation from Jehovah, and avoids applying such terms as infallible and inspired to himself, the things said and the claims made by him are to be viewed as essentially harmless, voicing of mere opinion. Now, the Bible recognizes no such simplistic criteria for determining the wrongness of presuming to speak in the name of God and for telling things which fail to come to pass. We may not find the false prophets within Israel employing specific expressions such as direct revelation, or speaking of themselves by such terms as inspired or infallible. Yet the pretense was nonetheless there that their words were indeed from Jehovah. To, quote, speak in God's name means doing so as a representative of that one, as the Watchtower publication, Insight on the Scriptures, recognizes. Russell referred to himself as God's spokesman, and presented the chronological predictions as the product of God's guidance upon his people. God's name and his word were certainly involved in all that was presented. Consider the two quotations in the earlier note, taken from 1883 and 1896 Watchtowers, offered as evidence of quote, not prophesying in Jehovah's name, and of an avoidance of dogmatism and presumption, and then compare these with the statements found in publication after publication previous to 1914, statements declaring the Watchtower time calculations as being, quote, God's dates, not ours, that it, quote, has been emphatically manifest that the time had come in A.D. 1878 when kingly judgment should begin at the house of God. That the year 1878, quote, clearly marks the time for actual assuming of power as king of kings. Or the repeated statements that the Bible evidence would prove as a fact firmly established by the scriptures that 1914 would mark the farthest limit of the rule of imperfect men would prove that before the end of 1914 the last member of the body of Christ would be glorified with the head, would prove that before that date God's kingdom, organized in power, would smite and crush and fully consume the power of these Gentile kings, crushing and scattering the powers that be, civil and ecclesiastical. Or the claim that, quote, within the coming 26 years, all present governments will be overthrown and dissolved, and that we consider it an established truth that the final end of the kingdoms of this world and the full establishment of the kingdom of God will be accomplished by the end of A.D. 1914, and that the date of the closing of the great final battle is definitely marked in Scripture as October 1914. It is already in progress, its beginning dating from October 1874. These statements are all documented on preceding pages of this chapter. 
following this same pattern of enshrouding the facts in a semantical smokescreen with regard to the prediction of the church's glorification to heaven in 1914, the new history book on page 635 quotes a 1916 Watchtower statement that, quote, we merely inferred it and evidently erred. In the face of the plain statements already quoted, with their frequent use of such terms as proof and proven and firmly established, or established truth definitely marked, this can only be described as journalistic and intellectual dishonesty. Frequently, in Watchtower argumentation, a red herring is dragged across the path, as in drawing attention away from the failure of the predictions by switching the focus to the willingness of many to stick with and support an organization despite its having fed them false hopes, while representing those who opted not to do so as being spiritually weak, as having grown weary in God's service, or being governed by fleshly motives. This only accentuates what is perhaps the most distressing factor of the whole matter, the apparent lack of any genuine concern for the effect such predictions had on the lives of people, those Watchtower readers who viewed the predictive messages as coming from a God-directed source, as his divinely provided meat in due season for them. They were openly encouraged to allow these predictive claims, built around particular dates, to serve as a basis for their hopes and expectations, and thus to mold their lives in conformity. It produced a warped and short-sighted view of life, and of the future, and inevitably led to disappointment, for illusion sooner or later met up with reality.